Good morning, Jericho Road. I love you, and I'm glad that you're here. So good morning, good morning, and Happy New Year to everyone as well. Um, youth group, we're saying bye to you today. I know it's, normally we have you on the first day, but uh, today we're saying bye to you. Pastor Jimmy has some uh, cool New Year's stuff to share with you. So if you're in the youth group and you want to he- head out, go ahead. If you're in the youth group and you want to stay, then that's cool too, whatever you like. Okay, so see you later. Glad to see you guys. Um, we're going to take a, a minute here to do a tiny bit of church something. We have our leadership board uh, who have, who, uh, there's new leadership board members coming on and a couple going off of the leadership board. And so I'd like to invite up first uh, a couple of our leadership board members who are uh, finished their term. So I'd like to invite up uh, Peter Chang, Drew Kim, and Charles Joe. Could you guys come up here really fast? Come on up stay on the stage. Encourage them. And uh, so as they're coming up, like, we'd just really like to thank you guys for your service over the last couple of years, uh, your leadership for this church. So many things have happened in the last two years. So they've been on the leadership board longer than I've been the pastor of the church. And so uh, they've seen it through all the last couple of things. So it's been really exciting in the last two years. Uh, and would you guys remain on stage as I'm going to invite up our uh, new leadership board members. Uh, so we have a total of six uh, leadership board members uh, uh, at a time. And so uh, we're going to welcome up, though, um, Drew Kim, Rena Williams, and Brian Chan. And so they may be teaching. Are they teaching today? Oh, yeah. Are all? No, Brian's here. All right. So, Brian, and where's Rena? Did she, Jerry? Did you know where your wife is? She's awesome. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. I know where she is. She is awesome. Uh, but she can't join us this morning. And so Brian Chan is joining us. And uh, Drew is actually uh, going for a second term here. He was so excited about the. Uh, about uh, being on leadership board. So uh, we have new Drew and old Drew. So uh, in this new year, he's going to go there. There he goes. And oh, welcome our new, new leadership board member, Drew Kim. And so um, would you guys join me in praying for uh, our new ones and praying for our old ones and just uh, thanking God for them. If, you, if you're in the place where you could just maybe reach out your hands and bless them as we're praying over them. Father, I just want to pray for uh, a prayer of thanks and praise and worship to you for the leadership board members who have served this church so faithfully. And I just thank you for them. I thank you for their heart. I thank you for their vision. I thank you for the place that you've brought our church through them. Uh, And God, I just pray that you'd continue to bless them as they serve in different ways uh, this community. And God, I ask for your hand of blessing upon our new leadership board members coming, that they could see what this church looks like in five years and 10 years and 50 years so that we can continue to build your kingdom to, to love you, God, and to love other people. And so I just pray that your heart and your passion would come upon our, our new leadership members, that they could, they could see with your vision and, and hear your uh, words to them and lead in a way that honors you best. God, we ask for your blessing upon them. Would you protect them and guide them and, and hold their hearts near to you as they lead our church? We lift them up in your name. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys and gals. So uh, the couple of uh, leadership board members are still on there, Diane and, um, uh, and Mark, so um, they will continue to lead our church. Um, in our church leadership tr- structure, Jesus is like the number one, like Jesus is the authority over all things. He, you know, if Jesus says do something, we do it, uh, whatever Jesus wants, we want to do that. But after Jesus, next comes uh, for Jericho Road, the next in charge is actually our leadership board. Uh, so we believe that God has made them the highest authority in our church to lead this church, pointing this church in the right direction, uh, in God's direction, what he wants, listening to his voice, and, and really leading our church. And, and so they are the, after Jesus, they're the next in charge at this church. They have authority over me, uh, the senior pastor. If they say jump, I say, are you high? 
I mean, I say, uh, how high is what I say? <laughs> uh, don't tell me what to do. Right? <laughs> no, they, they are tasked with telling me what to do in, in a good way. Uh, they, they, one of their jobs, as well as pointing our church and leading it in the right direction, is to point our pastor in the right direction and make sure that, that I'm doing well spiritually and make sure that I'm leading in the way that God wants me to lead, uh, wants me to lead this church and uh, uh, offering uh, help and suggestion and coming alongside uh, really uh, guiding uh, my portion of the leadership of this church. And so um, in life, uh, they are over me. They're my authority. And in life, we have this in, in our lives. We understand authority, whether it was first with your parents or now if you have a boss, you know what authority is like. If you had teachers, that kind of stuff. And so that's how authority works. And today, we're going to look at this powerful statement uh, uh, of faith regarding authority as we continue in this series called Pagan Faith. Uh, it's coming from Matthew chapter 8. If you have your uh, paper Bible, feel free to turn to that. Otherwise, it, if you have a digital Bible, that's cool too, and the verses will be up here. Um, I think we're flipping back this morning between NLT and ESV. And the reason we uh, change versions is we, we believe that it's in the original Greek is the, the exact what God wants to say, and translations are just translations, and we feel free, feel free to use the ones that uh, make the most sense uh, and handle the text the best. So last week, we were discovering that Jesus was the remedy for suffering. We covered uh, two whole verses. When he, Jesus, entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant's lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And Jesus said to him, well, I'll come and heal him. So Jesus didn't hesitate to volunteer to go to this guy's house, and we half, half wish that, that Jesus was allowed to go to his house, or, or the story ended up where, where he went to Jesus' house, just to see Jesus' detractor's reaction, because it was completely against Jewish custom for a, a Jewish person to go into Gentile home, and certainly not a righteous Jewish person would never enter a, a, a Gentile's home. And so uh, we kind of wish that Jesus had taken him up on the offer just to see the Pharisees flip out and freak out and that kind of stuff. But the centurion, instead, uh, Jesus said, I'll come and heal him. And the centurion, he says this. He replies to Jesus. Uh, but the centurion replied, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof. Man, this is pretty cool because this centurion seems familiar with Jewish ways. And part of his response shows the sensitivity of the fact that the Jewish teacher wouldn't normally enter into a Gentile's home. And so it seems that the centurion is saying, yeah, don't come. That way Jesus doesn't have to be put in an awkward confrontational situation with some of his other people. Additionally, like he's like, well, don't bother to come because I live kind of far away and I don't want to bother you with travel uh, or, or trouble you for all your time. And it's interesting because his consideration of Jesus in this situation is kind of impressive. Like, uh, so he cares about like, hey, I don't, want, I don't want any confrontation. I don't want any awkward moments. I don't want you to have to travel. If we add that to the idea that the centurion is also caring about a servant, we talked about last week that uh, if you're a slave of a centurion and you can't do your job, it's legal for the centurion just to kill you <laughs> rather than help you get better. <laughs> it's just I can pick up another slave, you know. I don't want to bother with time and money. And so the fact that the centurion cares about like Jesus in that sort of situation and he cares about this servant, it shows us something about this guy, that he's an other person's sort of consideration, that he's not just a, maybe a hard-hearted, mean, horrible human being, but rather he cares about others and he's others-centered. And I would say even more impressive, so those are kind of cool that he was thinking about that thing. But for me, uh, when I'm looking at this passage, I think the, the greatest factor um, for the centurion telling Jesus not to come 
has to do with his use of the word Lord. Now, he's used it twice already. He used it when he first approached him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed. And now he says it again, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you under my roof. And, and so I think that's really important. His hesitancy to have Jesus in his home is tied to that title as he's addressing Jesus as Lord. And last week I had mentioned, I think that that Lord isn't just like a Sir Lord or like you're, it really is this title of supremacy. He doesn't feel worthy to have Jesus in his home precisely because he believes Jesus is Lord. See, it's coming from a, an actual belief of his. So he's not just saying Lord, Lord, like with platitudes. But I think he actually believes, and it, the passage will demonstrate that he really does believe Jesus is the Lord. And so he's like, man, you're the master over all things? You're, you're the Lord? You can't come into my house. My house is like, it's like, you know, like a, I'm not worthy of that. I shouldn't be allowed to have you near me, let alone come into my house in this hospitable situation. I think it's likely that this centurion has heard some of Jesus' teaching. Remember, he had started in Capernaum, and he's been teaching and doing miracles all through this northern area of the Sea of Galilee. And so uh, I think that he's heard Jesus teaching about Jesus saying that he's the Son of God. He's heard the teachings uh, that Jesus is telling how to forgive sins. And, and he actually believes the miracles as confirmation of the truth. And we think this is true because of the rest of the passage regarding this centurion. But I think the Lord tips it off. That he says he's not just saying like, oh, yeah, don't come, don't bother to come. I, I think that he does consider Jesus in that way. But I think the biggest part is that he's like, no, literally, I think you're Lord. <laughs> I think that you are God. Something has convinced him not only of Jesus' ability to heal, but also his position of authority, which allows that healing. And so he confesses that he's not worthy. And that's a really beautiful quality for this guy to say, like, I'm not worthy. Now, here he is, a centurion who's a conqueror over these Jewish people. And he says, I'm not worried for you, Jewish sort of conquered person, to come into my home. That that beautiful quality of humility is exactly what God looks for. It reminds me of that parable that Jesus told about a, a, a guy who was praying in the back of the, the church and confessing his worthy, unworthiness versus the, the, like the religious guy who was in the front. The passage goes like this, the parable that Jesus taught. He says, uh, then, then Jesus told a story about someone who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. Two men went into the temple to pray, and one was a Pharisee, and the other was a despised tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself, and he prayed this prayer. I thank God that I'm not like other people, cheaters, sinners, adulterers. I'm certainly not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I, I give a tenth of all my income. The tax collector, he stood at a distance, and he dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he, he beat his chest in sorrow, and he said, Oh, God, be merciful to me, for I'm a sinner. I tell you that this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Do you see any parallels here? With this, The heart of the centurion is the same heart of what Jesus is talking about. Jesus meets those who are humble. And he comes, and, and, and people who come to him without any pretense, without any pride, without thinking that they're all that, masks or self-delusions. And, and so Jesus really likes this authenticity to say, like, I am not worthy. And that's what this, verse, uh, that, that this centurion is demonstrating. In our passage, the centurion actually says the opposite of what every Jewish person would expect. 
See, the Jewish persons would expect that uh, as a centurion, as a Roman conqueror, he would say like, oh, yeah, you're not worthy of me. And yet he flips it around and he says, I'm not worthy of you. And that, that would have been a really surprising statement to us. It's not because we're, we're not in that political environment. We're not in that sort of conquered slave nation environment. But, but this would have been a really odd statement for the centurion to say, I'm not worthy of you. Everyone would be like, huh? Romans never say that. Romans always say that they're better than us, that they look down on us, that they spit on us, that they uh, have conquered us. So the fact that the centurion shows this immense respect and deference to Jesus, like it's truly remarkable. But then the guy goes next level in the following statement. Here's what the guy says next. He goes, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes. And I say to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, I say, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled. You see, in the Roman military system, all authority belonged to the emperor. And that authority then was transferred down through his commanders, ultimately coming to a centurion. And so a centurion was an ambassador of the emperor's wishes. So when the centurion spoke, he spoke with the authority of the throne ensuring that his command would be obeyed. A legionnaire who disobeyed would not just be defying a mere centurion. A legionnaire who disobeyed would be defying the emperor, and there would, be, uh, there would in, indeed be a dire consequence for that. The consequence for disobedience to your centurion or to your emperor would be death. Not imprisonment, not a court, not anything. They just kill you. And they have your buddies that are in your, your regiment. They kill you. <laughs> your friends that you've served with. They're the ones responsible for killing you. And so the Romans don't mess like that. And so this centurion says, like, I understand how authority works. This pagan understands that Jesus' word was God's word and that sickness must obey if Jesus commands it. Can you see how he understands it? He's like, look, I understand how authority works. I tell someone to do it, they do it. There's no questions. And so Jesus, all you don't got to come to my house. You just say sickness, get out of there, and the sickness has to obey you. It will obey you. It is a matter of fact, not a matter of conjecture. And that, state, that, that, that faith statement is truly marvelous. Like he's saying that Jesus has the power to tell sickness what to do. Like sickness, you guys. Like this, we're not telling a person what to do where we can like force them. Like how do you force sickness to do something? You can't, you can't grab it and like sickness, you do this. But he's saying, I believe, Jesus, you have the power to tell sickness what to do. Just like I have the power to tell my legionnaires what to do. I mean, this centurion literally thinks this is true. I mean, it's not metaphysical. He's not talking about a spiritual reality. He's not talking about symbolic healing. He says, no, I actually think you can tell sickness what to do. He thinks that Jesus can heal his servant and that he doesn't even need to be present. He doesn't need to cast a spell. He doesn't need to shake a chicken bone. You know, he doesn't need to chant a magic phrase, dance around. He says, all you got to do is say sickness, leave, and the sickness has to, to leave. He knows Jesus has true authority. And his word would be completed outside of his immediate presence. Like, it's not a magic trick or an illusion where he has to, like, be there to make sure, like, it works. He's like, Jesus, you don't even have to be there. I know that you can do authority from afar. And this is pretty interesting because Jesus has never done this up till now. We don't have any other evidence that Jesus has done a miracle from afar. So this centurion's like, he's like bumping up, like 
he's seen Jesus touch people and heal them and been in their presence heal them. He's like, I don't even think you need to do that. You have authority over sickness. You tell it to go, it'll go. And this would have been like, oh, right? Like, like, what the heck is this kind of faith? What is this? Like understanding of how faith and authority works. It's, it's truly remarkable, and, and Jesus marvels at it. See, a man with authority doesn't need to be present for the task to be accomplished. If you really do have authority, then, and, and I say something that's going to happen, I don't have to wait and stand over you to make sure you do the thing that, that I told you to do. If I truly have authority, then, then you do it. There's no indication um, at all that this has ever happened. So this is like, like a new one. Like, oh, he's going to like heal from like, got him, you know. And so uh, uh, this is kind of interesting. I, I was sort of thinking it's like uh, this, this, um, this centurion is like game knows game. If you know what that means, like, he's like, I know what authority is. So this guy, he got it. So he's going to just tell that sickness. The centurion recognized the authority and he shows great faith in Jesus' word. Understanding that he could heal with a word just as easily as he can heal with a touch. He doesn't even have to be there. He can just say it and it happens. Now, this idea of authority is mentioned and demonstrated and explained throughout Jesus' ministry in this passage and in multiple other passages throughout our Bible, here and elsewhere in the Gospels. Now, one of the, it's one of the key teaching components of Jesus' ministry, that he has authority over different things. In fact, that he has authority over all things. Uh, here we see that he has authority over physical sickness. Now, spoiler alert, he actually heals the guy. So the guy gets healed eventually, right? Uh, so he has uh, the ability to have authority over physical sicknesses. Jesus has the authority over spirit beings, sometimes called demons or angels. Uh, in Matthew chapter 8, um, just a little bit after the passage that we're looking at, uh, that evening they brought uh, many people to him who were oppressed by demons. And he cast out the spirits with a word. And uh, he healed all who were sick. And so Jesus has authority over sickness. He has authority over uh, spiritual forces, demons and angels. Jesus has authority over wind and wave, like the physical universe. If you remember our series, A Walk to Remember, just last uh, couple of weeks, that Jesus walks on water. If you didn't catch that, go f- feel free to jerichoroad.church and you can check that out or on our, or on our podcast. That's a free like plug right there. <laughs> shameless. And so, uh, but, but you could check that out. Jesus has authority over wind and waves. We saw that. We, Jesus has authority over literal life and death. If you remember, Jesus raises this guy Lazarus from the dead, like he's literally dead, and he raises him to life. Jesus has authority to forgive sins and, and to heal paralyzed people. In Matthew chapter 9, this comes a little bit later after our passage, in a, in a couple more weeks, some people brought a paralyzed guy on a mat, and seeing the faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, be encouraged, my child, your sins are forgiven. And the teachers in the religious law, they said to themselves, that's blasphemy, man. Like, does he think he's God? <laughs> yeah. So Jesus knew what they were thinking, and he, and he says to them, why do you think such evil thoughts in your hearts? Like, which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say stand up and walk? Like, it's easy to say your sins are forgiven, right? Because no one could see it. <laughs> Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed. Oh, so he says, so I'll prove to you that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And in order to demonstrate I have authority to do something that is unseen, I will show you authority from something that is seen. And he tells this guy, uh, Jesus turned to the paralyzed guy, and he says, stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. And the guy's like, woohoo! He like grabs it, and he jumps up, and he goes home. 
exclamation mark. Like that's from the text. Like the Greek text is like this. Like, yay, he gets up, not just like, oh, he's like, but he Mario's it, you know. He's like, I can walk. And uh, he, uh, someone actually gets in trouble. They're like, why are you walking, you know, blah, blah, blah. And they're like, dude, I'm just doing what Jesus told me to do because now I can walk. Anyway, so uh, we can't see Jesus' authority over sin directly. And so he demonstrates it through this great power of this miracle of healing this person. Now, that really helps us in our own assurance of faith. So when we come to trust God completely, Jesus is our Lord and Savior, rather than being a leap in the dark, Jesus gives us enough evidence so that we could take a step in the light. See, Christianity isn't about closing your eyes and hoping it's true. It's about seeing what historically happened and saying there's enough evidence for this to point me to the reality that I think Jesus is who he says he is, and he can do the things that he, can say, that he says he can do. That he has authority over life and death. He has authority over heaven and hell. He has authority over eternal lives. He has authority over all things. Jesus himself says that in the, towards the end of Matthew. He gets his disciples together, and he says to them, I've been given authority, uh, all authority, over heaven and, and on earth. And so Jesus demonstrates his claims of authority that they can be trusted, and he does it through his miracles. And this centurion has already called Jesus Lord. Now he shows this incredible insight about how authority works and, and the extent and the scope of Jesus' authority, and it's pretty powerful. So now are you ready to bring this home? Does Jesus have authority in your life? So... We said he has authority over sickness, he has authority over winds and waves, he has authority over all these things. Jesus says, I have authority over all heaven and all earth. Is he only talking about non, non-human being entities, demons and spirits? Or does Jesus have authority over our lives? I mean, I think it's a really fantastic question, especially in light of the new year. Because what, are, what do we always do in the new year? And I, and I think it's a great thing to do. I'm not disparaging it at all. We always come up with like, like, how do I want this year to look? What do I have? Do I have any resolutions? There are, some, are there some things I want to change about myself? Are there things that I want to see change in my life? And so New Year's is this really remarkable time where we get to think about that. And, and, and so maybe I want to lose weight, right? Maybe I want to stop smoking or, or become more financially responsible or I want to get better grades or I want to be a better husband. So whatever it is for us, I think this idea of authority uh, really fits well here. I would say that it all goes back to authority. Does Jesus have authority over your weight? Does Jesus have authority over your smoking or your addictions or your failings or your motivations? What would it look like if I actually believed that Jesus was real? And what would it look like in my life if, if I really didn't? Outside of the, I know it's just really churchy, right? Outside of just the churchy thing. Like if I actually thought Jesus was real and his statements were true and that, that he's demonstrated now authority over different things and then he says, uh, if you turn to me, you need to make me Lord and Savior of your life. The Savior part we get pretty easy, save me from hell. The Lord part we have a harder time with. Lord means master over my life. It means the one who has authority over me, right? When we make Jesus Lord of my life, it's saying, God, you have authority over all that I'm doing. Like how, how I study, God, you have authority over that. God, how I interact with my husband or wife, you have, you have authority over that. You're the Lord of my life. 
how I make decisions, how I spend my money, where, where, I, where I go in my free time. So what would it look like if I actually believed Jesus was real? I mean, for real, you guys. Like, I know this is a sermon, and it gets like there's this almost disconnect to our reality. Like you have your Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday reality, and then you come on Sunday and do like the spiritual thing. But what happens if, what, what happens if Jesus is actually true? And we actually think that Jesus was alive, and he actually is Lord of our life. And I think many of you do. I think many of you would say, I, I believe Jesus is the Lord of my life. I, I've given my life over to him when I asked him to save me. How does that show up in our day-to-day as we walk with him? Does he have authority over every area of my life? Because I think this is where it's tough. I think Jesus has authority over most areas of my life. But I think there are some areas that Jesus doesn't have authority over. And it shows up probably in my sin issues and my struggle issues. I'm not sure Jesus has authority, full disclosure, over my, my pettiness. Because I can get really petty, and I can get really short-tempered really fast, and I can get really uh, mean-spirited sometimes. And I'm not sure that Jesus has authority over that. Like, as I was preparing this sermon a a few weeks ago, I've been testing this out, because you always want to test drive it before you give it to the people, right? And so I've been testing this out. When, When I was tempted to get really frustrated over something really small, I said, Jesus, I want you to have authority over this. Like, you don't want me to react... Uh, hurtfully over this like really lame comment. And so I want to ask for your authority over this. And so I've been trying to practice through this. And the more that I think about it, the, the more I'm convinced that this is, it, it's a really important piece to recognize that Jesus is Lord over my life and he has to have authority over my decisions and the things that I'm doing. Like if Jesus is authority in every area, it will change how I study and what I study. It'll change, like, um, I'll start asking him what he wants me to be in my life rather than what I want to be in my life. Like, it will change habits that I indulge in, like habits of spiritual building, like prayer or meditation or encouraging or serving or going to Bible study or hanging out with some Christians. It would change that as opposed to maybe holding on to damaging habits, pornography or alcoholism or pride. If Jesus has authority over my habits, then he's going to build these these ones and he's going to negate these ones. I'm going to have to give over these other things. That's really hard. Does, Does Jesus have authority over your habits, over your vices, over your sins, or are you still holding on to them? Say, I'll be in charge of these. I'll get rid of these myself when I want. I'll do this. But Jesus, you can have this other part. But I'm going to hold this piece. You don't have authority over it. Does Jesus have authority over my temper, over my language? Does he have authority over my goals? I guarantee you that if Jesus has authority over your life, it'll look much different than your non-believing friends' lives. So if your life looks exactly like your non-believing friends, then it's probably true that Jesus doesn't have authority over every area of your life. And I guarantee you that if Jesus gets authority over your entire life, this will be an amazing year. This will be the best year of your life. If you can say, Jesus, I'm going to make you Lord of every part of it. Now, that doesn't mean you're going to get the richest you've ever been, and it doesn't mean that you're not going to get sick this year. 
But if you make Jesus the Lord of your life, you say, I'm going I'm to like this, this Roman centurion. I'm going to put my faith in you, God. you got authority to tell sickness what to do. I'm following that. I'm going to make you Lord over my whole life. If you do that, I guarantee you this will be the best year of your life. It'll be the best year in your relationships. It'll be your best year spiritually. It'll be your best year in terms of the things that God wants for you. This year will look amazing. Your resolutions will be a little bit different, though, (laughs) right? The outcome will be spiritually significant, and it will absolutely be powerful for you, but not only for you. It'll be powerful for those that are around you. They're going to be blessed as you are allowing God to bless you. So when Jesus heard this, this centurion's comment on authority and faith, the Bible says Jesus marveled. Now, marveled is like this idea of like expression of astonishment, wonder, and admiration. And so Jesus marveled. He was like, "Yo, oh, that's a pretty legit pagan guy. So he, he actually was impressed by this pagan's faith. Oh, see, that's the title of the sermon. Oh, series. Worked in right there. Thanks. Uh, you know, like halfway through the movie, they get the title of the movie in it. That was, that was it right there for for you that are a little slower in the audience, help you out. So when Jesus looks at my life, though, so he looked at this, this pagan centurion's guy's life, and he was like, you got him. When he looks at my life, is Jesus like, oh, Sam, that's marvelous? Or is he like, oh, Sam, again? You're like, what is he? Like, this is so cool. Jesus looked at the guy's life and his statement, and he's like, that's marvelous. When Jesus looks at your life, does he say that's marvelous or something else? If not, maybe it's time for each of you to step out in faith, giving Jesus authority over every area of your life. Would you join me in praying about that? We're going to pray about that just for right now, and then we're going to worship him. Jesus, are there people in here who dare to follow the example of the Roman centurion and and tell you that you have authority, that you are Lord over all things, sickness, material, metaphysical, spiritual, and all things angelic, and even in my own life? Dare we pray that prayer? Father, I pray for boldness from our people right now, that they could pray in faith asking you, to become the Lord of their life, the Lord of their 2019, to have authority over their decisions and their thoughts and their hearts. I want to invite you to pray your situation to God right now, to really think for a minute about this. And I would I'd encourage you to go for it. But that's between you and Jesus. And I want to give you guys a time, you and Jesus, to just talk it out for a bit.